your name. Amen. All right, and without further ado, we have our senior pastor, Van Cochran, for all of you. Thanks, Smith. Uh, were those boos? No. Oh, woos, woos. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. How many of you know that when Jesus prayed, he always said, one, two, three, I'm praying. That's in the Bible. No, I think that's a youth pastor thing. Don't you think? Hey, it's great to see you all here today. I wonder how many of you were here last week, heard the message. Okay, so you, you heard me talk about a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer and um, a, a theologian, a German theologian and pastor during the 30s and 40s, the World War II era in Europe. And uh, I, I related something he said to my daughter's wedding, which I had actually done the weekend before, and uh, the whole concept of marriage and, uh, and, and what it means, uh, the statement that marriage makes. That, and basically it's this. Let's just cut right to it. Marriage is a statement of hope. Okay? Marriage itself. And in, in, the, court, in, in the case of the, the book I just read um, on Bonhoeffer by Eric Metaxas, in the letters he wrote, it was engagement and marriage. It's a statement. It's a declaration of hope because it's a statement that there's something in the future. There's a future that's worth pressing ahead towards. And for Bonhoeffer, as for us, that hope, that future is all founded on relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not just wishing. It's not just saying, well, yeah, uh, keep a positive outlook. Positive thinking makes life better. It's not that. It is that there is a real relationship with Jesus that we can have. And based upon that real relationship, knowing who he is, knowing how he thinks, Knowing what his values are, knowing how faithful he is, that we just that projects into the future, and that's what we call hope. He's with me today. He's going to be with me then. Today's okay because he's with me. The best thing about today is not that the sun's shining. The best thing about today isn't that you're sitting with your new girlfriend or that you're going to go out to dinner later. The best thing about today is that Jesus is with us. Isn't that right? That's the best thing about today. Yeah, that's right. And the peace and the joy he gives us by being with us. And the best thing about tomorrow is still going to be Jesus is with us. And the best thing about a month from now or a year from now or 10 years from now is Jesus is going to be with us because that's what he said. He'll never leave us. He will never forsake us. You know that thing you're worried about down the road, that meeting this week or that relationship that you just don't, you, you're avoiding that person at work because you're afraid of what they're going to say or you're, you're, you're more afraid you're not going to know what to say yourself. You know, you don't have to worry about that. This is one of the ways hope works because I can look ahead to that situation and I can say, Jesus is going to be with me. Yeah, he's going to be with me. And you know, one of the things Jesus promises is wisdom. But he doesn't always promise us wisdom two weeks before we need it. You know, we get wisdom when we need it. And one of the reasons that we don't walk in hope is we project today's wisdom into the future. We project today's knowledge into the future. Not realizing that by the time I get there, 
Jesus will give me the knowledge and the wisdom I need. I don't have it today. Instead of projecting Jesus' presence. And so for us to walk in hope, let's just all agree what we're going to do is every time we think about next year, Every time you think about graduating, actually graduating from college, or you think about uh, what, what, um, you know, how your work is going, or maybe you're at a point of retirement, or, you're, or wherever you are, let's just all agree that when we think of the future, the first thought is, in our minds is going to be, wow, Jesus is going to be there with me. No matter what, he is going to be there with me. You know, I first discovered this when I was a believer. I was a Christian for about six months, and... Um, the pastor that was discipling me had me memorizing a lot of scripture, and I was reading the Bible. I was just devouring, reading the Bible for hours every day. And, um, and, and I really caught the drift early on that we were supposed to take the gospel message out to the world. And so then this pastor had me read some books on missionaries. And these were some rough stories, missionaries that went to um, South Sea Islands or um, some remote African village and took their families with them, and they went there, and two months later, the wife and all the kids had died from some horrible disease, and they, and they stay, and they persevere, and after five years or ten years, they finally see fruit and see the, the gospel just begin to bear fruit. But I'm reading these stories, and on the one hand, what it's doing for me is, it's saying, you know, being a disciple of Jesus isn't just happy life. It isn't just, oh boy, you know, I know Jesus now, everything's going to be, you know, just smooth and happy. Being a disciple of Jesus means following him. And and it means sacrificing. It means being willing to face the same things he faced because his strength is in me. And because what? He's with me. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just wrestling with this whole idea. And I remember lying on my bed uh, in my, my, still living at home at the time, uh, and I think I was just 21 years old. I got saved right before I was uh, 20 and, or 21. And, and I'm thinking, oh, God, I sure hope you don't call me to Africa. I hate spiders. And, I mean, I had seen the shows as a kid where they have spiders that big and, in the jungle. And, and I hate mosquitoes and flies and bugs. And, and I was just picturing myself in some uh, remote... Uh, village in Africa or South America, someplace, and just thinking, oh, no, don't, please don't. And then in the midst of my thinking and worrying about that, this picture came into my mind. I was in that hut, but Jesus was there with me. And it was, it was a revelation. It wasn't just an idea. It wasn't just a thought. It was God saying, oh, okay, here, I'm just going to open up heaven a little here, and we're going to dump this into your brain so you can get it right here. And when that came, it was like, oh, well, okay. If Jesus would be with me, then that would be okay. If Jesus would be with me, then not only would it be okay, that would be great. That would be the place I would want to be if that's where he wants me to be, and he's going to be with me. So you see, this is how hope works. Uh, Hope is, I mean, I I need to be 
walking with Jesus. I need to be yielding to him. I need to be open to him, revealing himself more and more to me today, right now, experiencing his presence. And then, and then because I am also studying the Bible, I'm not just experience focused, but I'm really getting into the Bible. I see that God is a solid rock. I see that God never lies. I see that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and I can run into it. I see that God is one who protects and who guides and blesses his people and that he never leaves us. And so I, I, I can say, okay, what, what, what I have right now, this peace in a week when I have to talk to my boss, I'm not going to worry about that because he's going he's to give me the same peace. And in addition to that, he's going to give me wisdom at that moment in time when I need it, right at that moment when I need it. And so we, we find hope because of God's goodness. And um, this whole thing with Bonhoeffer, uh, man, th- this guy lived in an, in an intimate, close relationship with Jesus. And it was daily. And he, every day he's meditating on scripture. Every day he's worshiping. Do you know how the man came to know Jesus? He was, uh, grew up in the theological atmosphere of Europe and uh, was educated there. And th- this was during a period where uh, the, the uh, Orthodox Christianity was being questioned by everybody. And they were drifting away, not believing Jesus was really the Son of God, not believing that he really died on the cross for our sins or that he rose from the dead, that those were all just myths, fables, and intended to teach us something, kind of like Aesop's fables. You know, you get a moral lesson out of looking at them. And so he, he's, he's at a point where he, where he believes who Jesus is, but he hasn't really encountered Jesus and then he came to New York City. He came to the United States for a year. Uh, he had a, a fellowship. I think it was at Union Seminary. And by this time, he was much more conservative than all the others that were denying the essentials of the faith. But, but uh, still, uh, his, uh, you know, he hadn't really been lit up with revelation yet. Okay, And so when he's living in New York City, he started attending a black Pentecostal church in New York City. And he went there. And it was like life and the Holy Spirit's presence and real heartfelt worship. And it, it rocked him. It changed his life. He actually had recordings made, records. How, how many of you, I mean, you all know what records are, don't you? Okay. Yeah, we don't use them today unless you're a throwback type person. But um, there was a day when that's all we had. He actually took records of the worship back to Europe with him. And then when he established a theological school to train pastors, uh, that, that was part of their uh, worship, was listening to the worship and worshiping with uh, this, this, these, this Pentecostal recording of this uh, Pentecostal church in New York City. So this guy had a living relationship with Jesus, which he walked in every day. And his hope was based not on the idea that life is always going to get better or that it's going to be hard or there's going to be easy, but that no matter how hard it gets, Jesus is with us. And, and if we're following him, and, and, and the key thing is obeying him, not a list of rules. In fact, he, he came to realize that living by rules will distance us from God. So if I have a list of principles and I'm saying, well, I'm going to live by these six principles, that's going to guide my life. 
I might have a better life than the next guy who has no principles, but eventually those principles are going to take the place of a living, vibrant relationship with God in my life. He even said this. He said, if your main goal is your own integrity, then you stand the risk of coming to care more about what other people think about your integrity than you do about what God thinks of you. Does that make sense? You know, you get caught up in, well, I, I have to do the integrous thing. And, and if I do this, even though I know it's the right thing, they're not going to understand it's the right thing. And they're going to judge me for it. And so therefore I can't do this. I need to do this instead. And you get caught up in all this quagmire. So at his funeral, they quoted a verse from the Old Testament that simply said, we don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. And that, that was the funeral message because that's what he had learned. He had learned that, yes, you saturate your mind with truth. You meditate on scripture daily. You worship and you pray. And then it's just like, Jesus, here I am. I don't know what to do today. My eyes are on you. I'm looking to you. Direct me. Now, coming out of that, of course, as I shared, he, um, he became part of a plot to assassinate Hitler and uh, he was arrested for that. And two weeks before World War II ended in what could have been nothing more than a revenge killing, uh, the Nazis executed him and a few other people that had been part of some of these plots. And uh, he, went, he went to be with Jesus. But uh, he wasn't worried about that. Because why? Because he knew Jesus now. And so if, if, the, if they come for me tomorrow, that's okay. Because I know Jesus and he'll be with me tomorrow. And then I'll be with him the next day. And so it is being with him, experiencing him, knowing who he is that gives us this hope. Uh, There are a couple quotes here I wanted to give you just because this book really impacted me. I hope you all get it and read it, okay? Do we have the picture? Is the picture here? This is the picture. I think he was like 38 when he died, 39 maybe. But um, Eric Metaxas was the author. And uh, it's a challenging, uh, wonderful book to read. But when he heard about uh, friends getting married, uh, and, and I'm using that just as a jumping off point to look at hope in general. But um, he said, he wrote this. He said, I would like to tell you how greatly I rejoice with you. Is that up there? Yeah. I'd like to tell you how greatly I rejoice with you. What always delights me in news like this of an engagement is the self-assured glimpse into the future and the confidence that there is a reason to look forward to the next day or the next year, the joyful grasping hold of happiness where God still gives it to us. It's a glimpse into the future, self-assured, not self-assured in the sense of self-reliant, but just confident, a confident glimpse into the future that says, God's with me today. He's going to be with me. Then there is a future because Jesus is alive and Jesus is here. And so later, Uh, He wrote this, which I thought was uh, kind of poetic and powerful, so I want to read it to you also. It's from, I think, page 408, if we can get that up here. All right, he says this. You realize that to him and and to them, uh, everything was in in the midst of uh, collapse. Europe was all devastated by World War II, and Germany is losing and, and the war, and it's all just falling apart. He says, here in the midst of the final destruction of all things, one desires to build. He's saying this in reference to marriage. 
In the midst of a life lived from hour to hour and day to day, one desires a future. In the midst of being driven out from the earth, one desires a bit of space. And the overwhelming thing is that God says yes to this strange longing. God says yes to these desires, even in the midst of this this, uh, horrific uh, cultural disaster and catastrophe. God says yes, there is a future, there is a hope. And uh, that's where our hope is founded, on the goodness of God, because God is good, because he's here, because we, we know him. We can look to the future and say God is good, and there is cause to be confident about the future. Now what I want to do, take a couple minutes, and we're going to watch a movie uh, clip. How many of you have seen Shawshank Redemption? Okay, I think this is like the 20th anniversary. I think it was made 20 years ago, but... Uh, uh, great movie. Uh, if you have little kids, keep your hand on the fast forward uh, in the remote. But um, uh, so it's not not great in that respect. But um, it's a, a movie about redemption. And um, in this in this scene, there are two main characters, Red and Andy. And these two guys have been in prison for decades together. Red, rightly so, he committed a crime. Uh, Andy was falsely accused and convicted, so he's been in prison for uh, over 20 years as an innocent man. Now, they became close friends during that time. And uh, Andy devised this scheme and escaped. But he left clues behind to Red. And he told, he, he left clues for Red to even, be, assuming that Red would eventually be paroled, He left these clues behind that would enable Red to possibly find him so they could be reunited as friends. And so this is the scene where Red's discovering the clues and and going to find his friend. Let's watch it together. Dear Red, if you're reading this, you've gotten out. And if you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little further. You remember the name of the town, don't you? Zewatineo. I could use a good man to help me get my project on wheels. I'll keep an eye out for you and the chessboard ready. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. I will be hoping that this letter finds you, and finds you well. Your friend, Andy. Get busy living. 
or get busy dying. For the second time in my life, I'm guilty of committing a crime. Parole violation. Of course, I doubt they'll toss up any roadblocks for that. Not for an old crook like me. Fort Hancock, Texas, please. I find I'm so excited I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I love watching that. Yeah. Now, Red, as he's talking, he uses the word hope almost in the sense of wish. And, you know, hoping is different than wishing. I mean, hope has degenerated, I think, the word in our culture to mean wish in the sense of uh, just, you know, I, I, you know, I hope it doesn't rain today. Or I hope the Reds win their opening game. Or I hope my game win, but my team wins um, the uh, basketball tournament, and it really, all we're doing is just speaking. We're just we're just speaking words that uh, express some something that we think would be cool if it happened. But biblical hope is different than that. And actually, in in the movie, although Red was kind of like using it in that hope, I hope, I wish type of a way. Uh, really, the truth of the matter is, he had good cause for hope because he knew Andy. That's the only reason he walked out into that field to look under that tree and to pick the rocks up and to find the little box that Andy had left for him because he knew his friend. And he knew his friend had always done everything he said he would do. And so hope that uh, is expressed on the basis of that deep relationship that we are confident in this person that they will fulfill their word that's something more solid and more substantial than any uh, I hope it doesn't rain type of thinking we can ever, ever come up with. Positive thinking isn't what hope is. And so when we think of Jesus, it, it, human beings will fail us. Even the best of human beings will fail us. Even someone that we can say, I've known them 20 years, they're a great friend, I have total confidence in them. Something might happen to them that they can't fulfill, they can't be there. It could have been that Andy could have somehow been um, sidetracked or arrested or, or rearrested or whatever and not been there waiting for Red. But with Jesus, nothing can keep him from fulfilling his word. With Jesus... He is the all-powerful God. He's the second person in the Trinity. He fulfills his word. And he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Never, ever, ever. You know, there's this great verse. I read it last week. 
but uh, I want to just touch on it briefly here. Um, in Romans fifteen thirteen, Romans fifteen thirteen says, "May the God of hope, God is a God of hope. That's part of who He is. He releases hope. May He fill you with all joy and peace." And pause right there. Jesus gives us joy and peace. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus, the night before he died, he said, I'm giving you peace. I'm giving you my joy. And he said, you're going to have joy and no one's going to be able to take it away from you. So Jesus is the one who gives us joy and peace. And he says, we have joy and peace in believing. That makes it a dynamic, present thing in my life. Right now, I have joy and peace by walking with Jesus because I'm believing in him. And then he says that that leads to hope in our lives so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And really the wording in the Greek text would be this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the presence of the whole power of the Holy Spirit. You see, for one thing, it takes power. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to change our minds, to change the way we think so that we think with renewed minds and see Jesus today and can see him in the future with us. But the thing I wanted to get to is this. He, he says the result would be that we would abound with hope. And that means have a super abundance of hope. Now, what does that sound like to you? What would it look like? What would it look like to abound with hope? I mean, hope, you know, could you just be, yeah, yeah, I have hope. And, and I'm confident, looking forward. But to abound in hope sounds more like a party to me. If I was Dave King, I'd dance right now, okay? You know Dave, he's our executive pastor, a little bit, little bit uh, freer with stuff like that than I am. But uh, abounding in hope is a party. Abounding in hope is where there's joy and where there's confidence and where we're not afraid of the future because we're abounding in hope. We have peace about the future. We're not, we don't have to worry about it. We don't lose sleep over it. You know, we'll do the things we need to do to be responsible to pre- prepare for it. But we, we, we're, we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to be caught up. We're going to abound in hope. Now the apostle Paul, uh, in, in his ministry came towards the end of his ministry. And, uh, Paul had wanted to go to Rome the whole, the whole time he was ministering, never got to go to Rome. But he wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome. And finally, Paul gets arrested and he goes on trial. And Paul, as a Roman citizen, had the right to appeal to the Supreme Court of Rome. In other words, appeal to Caesar. And so as a Roman citizen, Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. What that did was it cut off all the local court proceedings and they shipped Paul off to Rome. And so they put him on a ship. And this ship sets sail at the wrong time of the year. And as soon as they get out into open water, they hit this horrific storm. Uh, this, 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 uh, um, just this horrific, uh, uh, what do they call it? Uh, hurricane. And a hurricane type storm on, on the uh, Mediterranean Sea. And they go for several days without being able to control the ship at all. 
And so the sailors on the ship, they're getting discouraged. They're all too sick to eat. They're thr- they, the sails are shredded. They're throwing stuff off over. They're, throwing the, they're even coming to the point that they're starting to sh- throw the ship's tackle overboard, which means they've really given up. And so they come to this point of hopelessness, and we read this in Acts 27. It says, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days... And no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. All right. Everyone on the ship, except for Paul, everyone on the ship gave up hope. Everyone. Do you know the reason Paul didn't give up hope? Because he had had a revelation from God about the whole thing. And he goes on to say, Paul gets their attention And he says, I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you. This very night, he says, this night, and maybe this was five o'clock in the morning, maybe it was the middle of the night, but he's he's saying, just recently, just this night, an angel stood before me, an angel of the God to whom I belong. And it goes on to say, and worship. And he said this to me. Do not be afraid, Paul. And in the ellipsis, he says, you will appear before Caesar. It's God's plan that you will appear before Caesar. And so, Paul, you're going to survive this. But then it says, God has granted, the angel said, God has granted you also all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. And so what happened here? They come to a point of just devastating situation, loss. They give up hope except for revelation from God. Except for God speaking into the situation through this angel speaking to Paul, saying, Paul, you're going to fulfill God's purpose for your life. And part of that purpose all along has been you're going to talk to Caesar. And you're going, to t- you're going to share the gospel of Jesus with Caesar, Paul. That's God's plan. It's going to happen. You're not going to die. But then he goes on to say, God's also given you everyone on the ship. What do you think that means? Well, you see, Paul had prayed for them all. Paul must have had some, he had a sense of his calling. He had an inner sense that he was supposed to see Caesar. So Paul's already confident he's not going to die. But he's asking God for everyone else on the ship. And God responds to his prayers and says, okay, I'll give you, because you've prayed, I will give you the lives of every person on this ship. And so Paul has this hope now. Not a wish, not a boy, I sure hope we make it. But it's a confidence that of the future based upon this promise of God, this revelation from God. And what does it do? It gives him boldness to stand up and to declare it to everyone else. And because of his boldness and his faith, they had they, they took up hope. It says the next thing they all ate, and they all they all they all started looking at this again from the perspective of how are we going to survive this instead of this is hopeless. And so what I want to say is this that hope comes from revelation. It comes from experiencing Jesus in our lives and having God reveal to us 
his truth, having the Holy Spirit speak to us. Just like I was lying on my bed that, that afternoon worried about the mosquitoes and the spiders in South America or some African village, and suddenly God revealed himself to me. It's revelation. We need revelation. We need to be, well, revelation happens when we read the Bible. The Bible is revelation from God. And so it's all God's word, but sometimes, and have you ever experienced this? You're reading the Bible, and there's a verse that you've read a hundred times before, maybe 500 times before, and all of a sudden, it's just like it jumps up. All of a sudden, it just comes to life, and it leaps up, and it comes into your heart and into your mind, and you're saying, wow, can you believe that? Look at what this says. And God ministers. Have you experienced that? Okay, that's, that's the Holy Spirit enlivening truth and enlivening our minds and just bringing the two together. Uh, The old time preachers from 150 years ago called it quickening because quickening was bringing the life. And so it's not a new concept. I say that to you just to say it's not a new concept. This concept's been around for generations. But you're reading scripture and it's quickened to your heart. It's brought the life to your heart and, and and it validates And it brings your heart life. And we need that because that renews the hope. And the hope we live on, that hope of Jesus being with us, that he will be with us. That's based on the promises of God. And so whether we we have that happen by reading a passage of scripture or whether we have it happen by someone coming up and speaking to us, uh, we've really been um, pressing more and more into prophetic gifting and prophetic understanding. And, you know, prophetic words can be very simple. They don't have to be complicated. They can be very simple. Uh, Let me give you an illustration. Let's say that uh, I'm talking to Chris, and and Chris says, yeah, boy, I'm not sure about this job or whatever. And and Chris, stand up, Chris, and wave everybody, okay? This is Chris right here, all right? And let's say that uh, I just put my arm on Chris's shoulder and I say, hey, man, it, you know, I'm going to pray for you. It's going to be okay. God's going to be with you. His word says that. I know that. that that's true, isn't it? That's all true. It's going to be okay. God's going to be with you. That's true. But it can be just me expressing that truth, just, just me as a human being expressing that truth. And that's a good thing. But what if I'm walking past Chris And without talking to him, I have this thought come into my mind. I need to tell Chris that God wants him to know it's going to be okay. So I say, hey, Chris, you know, I don't know if this means anything to you. I might be way off, but I think maybe God wants to say to you, it's going to be okay. Now, that would be a prophetic word. What that comes with is this enlivening presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And that just knocks your socks off. That just blows you away. That happens here on a regular basis. Just the simplicity of a prophetic word, revelation from God that lights up our hearts so that we are like just left standing there saying, Jesus, once again, you've shown me you're real. Once again, you've shown me that you're alive and you're in my life and I love you and thank you for that. And that then breeds and and supports that hope for the future. And God speaks to us a, a lot of different ways. Um, I, I was, when we were, we were at a point where we were moving from Michigan to uh, Illinois, 
And we had had a big shift theologically from believing that God didn't speak to us today, that, that uh, the, the gifts of the Spirit weren't alive, like prophetic gifting, to believing that they were alive. And so I resigned the church I was at in Michigan, and we were moving to Champaign, Illinois, just to learn about the gifts of the Spirit. And I was walking home one day, and um, I was worrying and I was uh, just thinking and, and praying. And there's a little river called the Shiawassee River in this town. It's no wider than from here to the sound booth, no deeper than four or five feet. But as I was walking across the bridge, I saw the water. And I prayed and I said, God, can you provide for us the same way you provided for Peter when you told him to catch that fish and there was a gold coin in its mouth? And... It was as if God said to me, yeah, I can do that, and here's evidence of it. And I looked down, and there was a pool of water. You know how like little pools will form alongside a river, and especially small rivers like this? A pool of water about that big, probably six or eight inches deep. And there was a little lip that separated it from the rest of the river, but there was water up over it, and a, a bass about a foot long. I saw it. It swam out of the river, right up over that little lip. I mean, there was water. It was swimming through the water into that little pool. And it just frolicked. It just splashed around. And I don't know if bass can have fun or not. I don't Can fish enjoy themselves? <laughs> it had a party right there. And it was just, it, I stood there watching it for three, four, maybe as long as five minutes. And I thought, well, okay, God, I guess the answer is yes, isn't it? And, and it was a moment of revelation for me, of God speaking to me. God speaks to us that way, too, through, through natural things like that, through other people, through his word, through dreams, through visions. But we need to keep our hearts open to constantly, just constantly, Holy Spirit, speak. Holy Spirit, come. Lead me. Just like Bonhoeffer was every day saying, I don't know what to do, Jesus, show me what to do. That keeps it alive in our hearts today. And then that, that, that gives us that hope and confidence for tomorrow. So what we're going to do right now is worship, okay? And um, worship team's going to come out. And uh, during the first song of worship, uh, the children's ministry is going to come up because this is Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, the children all uh, were there waving palm branches as they worshiped Jesus as he uh, made his entrance into uh, Jerusalem for the last time before, um, last public entrance before his uh, crucifixion. So the, the kids will be coming out during this first song. Um, so wait until after they're gone before you come down front to worship, but then come down front to worship, okay? And everybody's welcome. You, you, you know, uh, everybody's welcome. And there's something powerful about worshiping down here, okay? So it's going to be awesome. But um, hey, I wanted to tell you, uh, this week the message is on hope as, as we project it into the future. Next week, we're going to look at the resurrection of Christ. It's Easter weekend. And uh, on Sunday, we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to look at heaven. And we're going to look at what does it mean for Jesus when he told us to pray, let your kingdom come. Because in a sense, as we've talked, hope starts here in my relationship, and then I look to the future with Jesus. But hope also is deposited there for us already, and it comes back to us. And so we'll be looking at that next week, and I I hope you're here to to be a part of that with us. But let's all stand together, okay? Just say, Father, we're, we're here to worship. We're here to honor you. 
triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, pour out your presence on us. Let us experience your love and your joy and your peace. Give us new revelation, deeper revelation as to who you are so that we can walk in the power and the courage and the boldness that hope in Christ gives us. In Jesus' name, amen.